All right, welcome back to the Major Journey Podcast. Today's guest is a reporter and copywriter primarily serving the cannabis industry. He is also the author of two books, The Art of Marijuana Etiquette and Cannabis Jobs. You can find his work in publications such as High Times, Insider, Cannabis and Tech Today, and plenty of other cannabis favorite publications. And so without further ado, Andrew Ward, happy to have you here, brother, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. Really excited to be here. Yeah, likewise, man. Thanks so much for uh, for being here and being up for for the conversation. So, man, I mean, tell us, like, how did you get here? Were you were you <laughs> always Andrew Ward, the writer, or like, did you start out just knowing that you wanted to be in cannabis, or how did that all kind of come at, come about to fruition? Ah, uh, you know, I mean, I've always aspired to be a writer. My goal is has and will always be to be like a horror movie writer. So um, my really? my goal is to you know start doing creative stuff, start doing you know the horror game and. Um, Basically, I wanted to get into movie directing at one point early on, and that was like right around when I started college, and I was told to, you know, go get a college degree in creative writing and work in broadcasting, and that will work out. And by the time I graduated in 08, the recession had hit and was told, like, those sort of degrees were worthless and it was going to do nothing. So it was basically like, oh, yeah, you're just going to go do a meaningless job that you don't want to do and that's going to be life. And I was like, yeah, fuck that. No, I don't like hearing people tell me sort of things like that. And, you know, I've just had a problem with nine to five and all that sort of stuff my whole life. So I just kind of pushed on. And for a few years, I was kind of raging against that. I was like working at places like Enterprise, Rent-A-Car and just, you know, office jobs that just really weren't my thing. Um, got me to about oh, two, 2011 and I just started doing free writing for a couple like entertainment sites, just like movie review sort of things, nothing really serious. Um, but that helped kind of like spark the interest again. And probably around 2013, I got an opportunity to do some writing for a dance music website that it was a sketchy Craigslist job out the gate where they basically were like, you're going to be an EDM reporter. And after about six weeks of like trying to track down the guy, it turned out like the site was not operational at all. And they needed what they called me an editor in chief. I got paid $600 a month and they had no budget to hire writers. And they're like, go make it happen. And uh, I did, I got like in six months, I staffed like three, like 40 writers and photographers across three countries and like all this cool wow. stuff. And then dude got sketchy and, you know, we ended up parting ways and, I that's where I kind of jumped more into the actual journalism game. I got um, a contract job at AOL back when like they were kind of on their gasping like final mm -hmm. days. Um, and I wrote like two weed articles and flash forward like maybe four years later, I was trying my hand at freelancing again in like 2017, maybe it might even be more than four years. But anyway, it was around 2017, I had just left a startup job and I wanted to get back into freelance. And I used those two AOL read, weed articles that I had as like, the source material and then I just started cold copying editors and companies in the canvas space and kind of like using my biz dev skills that I had from other jobs that I had gotten over the years and just started like hitting people up and that kind of led to this whole thing and then the Canada the Canada writer title came on pretty soon after that I went to a Canada gather event and Dashita Dawson who now heads up uh, New York cannabis small business um, department she uh, at the time was talking about the importance of branding and she was like go like get your name on stuff right away and the Canada writer was a name I settled on and I just got it on social media and stuff and uh, yeah kind of took off from there dude that's that's badass. So let me ask you this. So I I love the whole Craigslist story. I was like, like this is audio, but I was like, I was like cracking up. Yeah, I love stories like that. But so 
so tell me this. So you, so you've all, you've authored two books. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what was your experience like authoring those two books um, and kind of going from start to finish? Was it more work than you anticipated? Was it less or like, take us through that process. I'm curious to get your, your take on it. Um, so work in turn. Yeah, I would say it definitely was more work, but not kind of like what I thought it was going to be. Um, so kind of walking people through it, I would say my book was not of the traditional sense. Like a lot of people is like, you get pitched, you get a nice advance, you write a book and it gets support and like all that sort of stuff comes out. Right. Mine, it turns out was more of like a company kind of looking for a quota to fill on like uh, certain kind of books. It feels like, yeah. uh, I don't have this from directly from sources, but I have enough people that have worked with the company as a writer or internally that like, yeah, this is kind of the way it is. So basically what it was, they hit me up in 2018 and there might've been 17, might've been 18. I forget exactly. And there was like, it kind of went down this typical freelance writer path that I had where they were like, Hey, we really like your work. We want to work with you. Okay. Sounds good. Blah, blah, blah. They're like, we want to see some examples. I sent them my bylines, my portfolio. If you're not a writer or if you're a writer, have a portfolio ready, just send people your links for these sort of moments because then they're like, no, we want you to write a free chapter of the book. And I was like, no, I'm not going to write 5,000 or so words for this yeah. thing. I was, like, just, I was like, maybe if it was like random house or someone hit me up. Yes. But like, I didn't know the publisher. I didn't know all this sort of stuff. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do this. It's end of the year. Too busy. Can't be doing this. Um, and I kind of thought that would be it. Um, and they came back to me and they said they still wanted to work with me. They liked my stuff and everything. So I was like, cool, all right. This is where the process, um, like the negotiating process started going on. And soon after I realized that like it wasn't what I thought it would be like, mm -hmm. man, like if you pitch your story. So um, there was not a big, up for, uh, not a big advance. Uh, it was like a small, like it was a, a good amount, I would say, but not for like what you're about to embark on for the work, basically to kind of bring it back to where you're at. So the first book, Cannabis Jobs, was, I would say, a lot more work on the on the front end side because I was interviewing like 60, 70 sort of cannabis professionals. So that was a lot of phone calls, a lot of coordination on email, you know, just trying to get all that sorted. I was doing that all myself um, and then working with a few uh, people, like coordinating it and setting it all up and getting like all those sort of things in touch. So like other than that, like. You know, I was on on my own, kind of setting this all up, interviewing, transcribing, and then writing the articles, and then <laughs> the advance being not so great. Um, I ended up having to do all the work while doing my regular freelance work. So, like, there were days where I was working twelve plus hours of writing each day, and then you know, like, writing chapters and putting them all together. Uh, I just gotten a dog at the time, and like, she was like my only like relief like i would be like all right gotta go walk the dog like gotta get yeah. the hell away from the computer for 20 minutes um so that was a lot of work um and then the second book the art of marijuana etiquette that was came out in 2021 it was less work on the upfront um they so it was more there was different kinds of stressful work though that came along with it like edits are you know they happen um it was not terrible um there were some times where they would want them done in a really quick window which i thought was you know a little frustrating with the my day-to-day -day work but you know not out of the realm of you know fairness or, ex or like expectations um <laughs> the art of marijuana etiquette there was a lot of work to it because they originally wanted it to be this like kind of comedy style voice written from like this like prim and proper like etiquette trainer sort of voice and like yeah. i just couldn't fucking nail it like to be completely honest with you like i told them like after a little bit i was just like it's just i'm I like comedy writing and, you know, I like challenges. I was like, this just is not working. I was like, if you want someone else, go for it. Like, it's cool. But like, they want to keep going on. 
So we eventually progressed in day one of when I was supposed to start writing, I messaged them and I was like, I'm not going to do that voice at all. And I'm just going to write it in my voice. So it was like, you cool with that? And they were like, yeah, whatever. So uh, that was kind of a little bit of a back and forth for a while. I was trying to figure out um, how that voice was going to go down. And then what made it more difficult was probably about right around when the first draft was submitted, they told me that Emily Post was doing uh, a marijuana etiquette book as well. And if you don't know the Post, the, the her great-grandmother was the one who did all the etiquette books back in the day, and they've kind of like carried on the etiquette legacy ever since. So, pardon me, sorry. So, um, there was kind of like, what do we do there? And, you know, I kind of wanted to pull the book, to be completely honest. I thought, wow. you know, that might have been the sign where it was just like, all right, like, I mean, they technically don't have an ownership on etiquette. So like anyone could do that. And there'd been enough blog posts and books, which was kind of the crux of my book. I was saying is like, you know, everyone's put these together. I'm just kind of compiling them. Um, so, you know, that was the argument where it was like, all right, put it out. Like, let's do it. And, uh, you know, that was kind of a debate was to me, how do we make sure the book is different? Cause we did get, ended up getting a copy of hers around like maybe the second draft. Like we just kept going forward with it, like not knowing what was in it and just kind of like pretty confident that we were going to make our own book. And, uh, you know, I, I think reading the two books, they're very different. Um, but you know, it, it, there's been largely no one who seems to have an issue with it, except for one of my favorite Google comments ever is just a one-star review of my book that is written by someone with the name E and like just said that it was stolen. I was like, I know it's probably not Emily Post, but like in my heart of hearts, just for like the storyteller, I was like, is there a beef brewing over like an etiquette book? (laughs) She definitely doesn't give a shit about me at all. And I think that is fine and funny about it. But like, that was the the weird, like hard work of it. So like, it wasn't a very traditional traditional book path, I guess I would say. I gotcha. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. But do you think, so I know you said that like, there was a lot of work up front, a lot of back and forth, et cetera, et cetera. And it wasn't necessarily like a huge, like money play, but at the, at the same time, and I've worked with a lot of authors in the past, just having a background in publishing, a lot of them don't even necessarily do it for the financial gain, but more so for the brand play and to add credibility and authority. So I don't know if you went into it kind of thinking that that may result as a byproduct of everything that you're doing, but how did your career and path kind of change or how did the book impact it if it did in any kind of way? I'm kind of curious to see what that played yeah. out. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, the the brand play is definitely the big one. As soon as I saw what that advance was going to be, I knew that there was not going to be a lucrative play to this, but I knew mm. it was a huge milestone to achieve. I mean, just as a writer, as a creative on my own, you know, having a byline book that, you know, you put out, you know, or the, in this case, having a publisher put out even more right. so, right. the high honor, because I felt like sought out by them. So, yeah, um, there was definitely some like milestones to it that were going to be more than financial. And when it came to the brand aspect to it, um, yeah, it was kind of like, you know, really make sure the books are good, really make sure that they are really representative of the industry, really make sure that they represent the culture, um, really just make sure I did right by, you know, this community that I had only, honestly, when the first book came out, I'd been in it for like two and a half years, three years. Mm-hmm. So like in terms of like the freelance sort of writing aspect right, of right. like, I think it makes it 18, but like, you know, really like I was like new to the industry and I was like, if I kind of write some crappy book, like I can get taken out of this industry and rightfully so for yeah. it. So like, I really wanted to make sure it was done right. Um, and then, you know, that of kind of fed into my brand as well. And, you know, how is that going to help the brand and how is it going to help build it? So, to your point of like how did it help um 
I never really kind of tracked it, but it definitely has come up in a lot of conversations. It's something that a lot of people mention, which it's kind of humbling for me because it doesn't, it kind of almost feels like it was just a project at this point mm -hmm. for me. Um, but to see that a lot of people, you know, are, you know, impressed by it and, you know, take a moment to like remark on, you know, I appreciate that it's not necessary, but, you know, it's definitely helped me at least just in conversation starters alone. So, um, you know, it's, it kind of helped bring me uh, closer to the industry, probably almost assuredly helped me with business, but, you know, just overall, it's kind of just become like a fun little conversation starter to have with folks. So yeah, it's, it's been really beneficial. Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome, man. I'm glad that it worked out that way too. And that it kind of, you know, spurred out all these, all these other opportunities and conversations to be had. Um, I want to, I want to get into a little bit of um, the landscape of cannabis media. Um, I know that you are a reporter and have been reporting for a while now. So like from your perspective, how has like the, how has the landscape of cannabis media evolved from when you started to today? Are, are you like at, at a high level, like what have you seen as far as like the biggest shifts there? Biggest, I mean, just first of all, size wise, it's just, you know, it's gone through expansions and retraction stages. And I think we're kind of seeing another retraction stage for the last little while. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, when I first got into it, it was a, a few publications like High Times, Leafly, I think maybe Civilized, um, yeah. Weed Maps were probably like the big names that I knew of. I eventually, when I started to get more on the policy business side, started to learn about, you know, the MJ business, the marijuana moments and things like that. But really there was only like a handful of them. And, you know, there was definitely a few more um, th there. And then as the years kind of went on, they kind of got a little bigger and, you know, a few are still hanging on, but a lot of them have gone down in the last few years on the culture side. Um, I think the business, I think business and politics is definitely more healthy, more sustainable. Um, but even then, you know, you see publications that are kind of going through maybe some slower periods right now. Um, you know, I'm not going to name names or anything, but you could definitely see some publications that are doing less cannabis writing, or maybe you're like scraping other cannabis websites and not writing their own original content. Like those ones potentially might be having a little bit of budget issues. Uh, I know, again, like I don't want to get inside baseball on clients, but like one, two business clients of mine have laid me off in the last year because of budget issues. Like one just straight up didn't have a freelance budget this year that they thought right. they were going to have. So they've really just had to turn in internal. So like they're still good publications, but the bandwidth sometimes has become tougher and that can always impact the quality of content or, you know, if quality which hopefully the publication uh, maintains quality. It just means, you know, you might see less work getting put up. So there, there are those sort of things. But I mean, I also say, you know, cannabis is starting to branch out. I think the real big play for writers as well as getting news is hopefully pushing to more like just general publications. Um, I recently did an article where folks don't think mainstream media is covering cannabis adequately or correctly. And I would largely agree with that, but I do think there's a lot of like dot coms and stuff that you can definitely get in on. And as a writer, try to become one of the first people doing it. Or, you know, one of the things I've been doing is looking at publications that maybe have one like cannabis writer or someone who maybe touched on cannabis just a few times in the last few years. And I just start pitching them. Um, you know, there's been one or two times where it's gotten work. A lot of times it doesn't, but you know, I, you just got to keep plugging away. Um, so like on a larger scale of that, like, what does that say about cannabis today? You know, 
I think cannabis itself, there's going to be an interest for it. Uh, there's going to be a lot of clicks for it. So it won't go away or anything, but I think we could just still see more shrinking and swelling over the next little while because, uh, you know, money is just tough to generate. And, you know, that's true in cannabis altogether and especially tough in digital media. So when you combine those two together, it is a little hard. <laughs> yeah, no, you you nailed it right there. And so with less, with less, um, you know, budget for free for freelance writers and maybe even just the bandwidth for covering cannabis in general with it shrinking and less and less people covering it at the moment, just as economic headwinds come about. Um, that obviously creates fierce competition for PR pros and for people internally at brands that are reaching out to different writers, editors, reporters, et cetera, et cetera, um, to try to, you know, position themselves as an expert for commentary, for insights, or to pitch a story angle. So I know you have put together a series of articles on LinkedIn with media pitching tips and different techniques that you kind of recommend folks, um, you know, take a look at and apply in their own practices. So can you kind of maybe just shed a little bit of light on, you know, some, some tips that you may have for folks that are trying to pitch media uh, and get their story covered and, and how to do it the right way and not, you know, piss people off in the process <laughs> of doing so? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the broad scale is really just, you know, be, be open, be authentic, be, you know, flexible, be creative and, you know, just try to tell your story. Um, I think it really comes down to, you know, just don't oversell yourself. Don't try to, you know, frame yourself as an expert when you aren't an expert, when you know your stuff, feel free to say it. But like, I think a lot of people try to want to just jump in and make themselves, you know, an authority in today when like, you know, it's okay to say you're a company starting out in cannabis. Like mm -hmm. there's interesting stories, there's interesting angles. And I think this plays more to the creativity and uniqueness side, but like be honest and then try to sell yourself on who you are, you know, like sometimes it's almost like, funny like this isn't a real curse but it's almost like funny like some of the times you'll hear someone and be like oh yeah i've worked with like the department of defense and like i did this this and this and i work in cannabis and like they won't talk about that they'll just talk about like opening up a store and it's like wait a minute no like that's a unique potentially like cool perspective or like sure. you know i was a professional athlete or you know xyz sort of like whatever thing piques your interest and like there's really cool things that i think sometimes people aren't identifying about their own brand, whether it be the brand picking that up or the PR person picking that up. But I think like that is where there's a lot of creativity that can be flexed. And I don't see much of it, to be honest with you. I see 99% of the pitches and that's only a little bit hyperbolic, to be honest with you. Like that number, like it's a lot of the pitches are reactions to things that no one asked for or mm. they're, you know, not even success stories are really important. And I know the public really wants to see more of them, but even the success stories we get offered, like, okay, no one cares from this perspective. Like not to say that it's like, I definitely don't root to the clients and stuff that I don't mean in this way, but like we've seen acquisition stories a dime a dozen times. Like we've seen, you know, this guy went from, or this person went from, you know, one industry success to another. Like, unless you're really willing to bring something unique or pers like perspective, perspective shifting, or, you know, something really kind of different, it's not going to work all that well. Um, few publications like are going to be looking for the same story more than once. Um, you know, there are traffic metrics that will show like what types of stories work. So, you know, you can find some redundancy there, but even then you're probably going to want a little bit of creativity because an editor is going to say, you know, we covered this story recently, right. especially if the first one was a larger name brand, you're not going to be able to have that same sort of effect if you don't have the same sort of clap. Um, so that and all, like, I really think like, you know, that is a broad way of saying it, you know, it's just, you know, be authentic, 
frame yourself who you really are. You know, you can talk from different perspectives other than being an expert. Um, really just, and also just be adaptable. I think, sorry, that was a big one also that was kind of, I was new, I was forgetting one there is just be adaptable. I think a lot of times we're all so busy and I completely understand being spread thin and I for damn sure have done copy paste sort of outreach, but like if anyone wants to be honest with themselves, how often does copy paste like actually result in like the best results? Like I know for sure every time I've done biz dev cold outreach, when I don't do like a little bit of like genuine research into them, like my success rate plummets. Um, so I think a lot of times people will, you know, do a little bit of research and that alone will stand out, you know, like mm -hmm. say you read an article and like, you don't have to butter up the right, right. I actually think that that's really cheesy on writers, but like, you know, come at it like, just like, Hey, I was reading your article and this made me think of this, or, you know, I was checking this out and, you know, I had an idea or something like that. And like, I don't know, it's, it's hard to do it because I understand PR has crazy high demands just like all of us and you know clients sometimes don't make it easy with some of the availability or creativity that they want to put into their stories and stuff like that but like i would love to, i think creative pr folks like jump out right away to me as someone who at least has like a unique story a unique headline and you know I would I, I would want to see more of it because I know a lot of them come from creative writing backgrounds. And I think for some reason or another, it kind of gets watered down. And, you know, if it's business, sure. If you're pitching a policy story, sure. If it's a, a serious thing, sure. Right. Like, take the fun out of it. But, like, it's fucking weed at the end of the day. Like, make it a little fun. Make it, like, you know, worst case scenario, a publisher is going to be like, that, that was too unprofessional of you, which no one's going to say to you, but like someone might think that, and then you have to pull it back, but like have fun with it. I think a lot of times we've kind of gotten a little too professional with weed and like in moments where we can, like we should just try to have fun with it. And I think that will stand out to a lot of folks, but then also, you know, you could run into a journalist or an editor who is the exact opposite of me. So, you know, just like weed effects, we're all different and it all just plays out differently, I guess, in a very long meandering sort of way. I hope that kind of helps. Yeah, man, no, that's that's a ton of great insight right there. And I think a lot of it boils down to just truly understanding who it is that you want to communicate with and understanding who they are and what kind of beats they're covering, what kind of angles they're typically looking for. And do they even like to cover the stuff that you're trying to pitch them? And if not, don't bother because you know what? Down the road, you might have something going on with your company or you might have something going on with your client where it does make sense to pitch. So I oftentimes see and hear so many people just burning bridges because they get pissed because somebody was like, well, they didn't respond. And I'm like, but you pitched a technology writer about politics. They don't, they don't give a shit. So that's not right. their fault. Like they get hundreds of thousands, even sometimes even thousands of messages flooding their inbox. It just doesn't make sense. It's like, would you respond? I don't think you would. You're hitting the nail on the head there. Yeah. Like you got to read the room. It's kind of, I mean, it's, it's just like, like I simplify it even more. It's just read the room in any sort of situation, you know, like yeah. you don't go to a party and talk about grim topics unless that's the one person who loves to talk <laughs> about grim topics. Like, you know, you go and talk about the shit that the room wants to talk about yeah. and that person's what it goes for. It. And like, that's how you have the best conversation. Like you read the room and know what they want and then you bring your authentic self from there. So like, I'm right with you, you know, like if you're, and like sometimes people aren't going to pick up ones, even if it's a slam dunk. And like a lot of times don't take it personal. Like people are just busy sometimes. And, you know, there are some people that will blow you off or whatever. And, you know, if you think you're going to spam, feel free to like check into that, but like, don't take it personal, man. It's really, you know, it's easy too. And I completely understand why, like I feel the way too and at times but like you're 100 right like you can't 
take it to heart and it, you're better. Like if it doesn't happen now, like there's ways to rapport build, you know, even if it just means not contacting them again until you get a really cool story or, you know, hitting them up and asking for, you know, I don't know, some sort of way to connect, you know, some people will block you off when PR asks for that. But like a lot of times journalists will take, you know, time to at least chat with you over email or something like that. Um, so yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I think you hit it uh, right on. Yeah, no, totally. I, I appreciate that. And I, I know our, our time's coming up to an end here soon, but I did want to ask you one more thing before I let you go. And Absolutely. I wanted to ask you, man, what was one thing that you feel like you learned or picked up during your time in the cannabis industry that you feel like you may have not picked up otherwise by working in a more traditional space? Oh man. Like I tried to quantify this like thought when people ask me like, cause the biggest one I take away is that you could basically replicate anything in cannabis for success. When I got in, like when I came in, I remember my first interview with my first meeting I had was with a rosin press company out in Denver. And they were telling me that, you know, basically anything is going to be replicated in cannabis. You know, there's going to be cannabis education. There's going to be cannabis security. There's going to be cannabis, you know, POS yeah. systems, you know, ancillaries and, you know, what have you, what have you, what have you. And I think that really kind of always kept me thinking how there was an open possibility of landscapes in cannabis and that I could tap into them in a lot of different ways. So like in writing, there's so many different topics that I could pursue, which is why, you know, the canna writer is what I'm happy that I got one with the branding because it's wide enough. Like I don't want to be canna business. I don't want to be canna politics. I don't want to be canna culture because like there's just a ton of really cool stuff to cover. And then like in business for myself and for other people, I always try to tell them is like, you know, what do you know? Like, what are you best at? You know, don't try to, you know, shoehorn in. Like, you can always learn new skills and go into a different direction in cannabis at some time. But, like, if you want to get into it, and I still think this opportunity is there, it is a little less now that there's saturation, but like, you can still figure out what you're good at and start from there. You know, like, there's people that are now like ace growers that started out looking like part time or full time as bookkeepers or whatever because they were like accountants before this or something. Yeah. You know, like, there's that success story. So, like, I still think in cannabis, there's a lot of wide open play to do it in. Um, I think a lot of folks should, you know, not always look at plant touching that being in media coverage, as well as in business opportunities, you know, ancillary is a huge market and, you know, there's a lot of opportunities across the board to really just kind of find what piques your interest and maybe what the market's interested in learning about. And, you know, I think it's a very broad way of saying it, but it's a good starting point to consider your options. Yeah, no, that's that's a great answer right there, man. I, you quantified it. <laughs> that's for okay, sure. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you, you nailed it right there. Well, Andrew, thanks again so much. Really, really appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners enjoyed it as well. Um, for folks who want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate this. Um, follow me on social media is always good. You can follow me at the Canna Writer uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can also follow me on LinkedIn. I don't have a link for that, but just look up Andrew Ward, Cannabis Writer, something like that will probably pop up. Um, and I'm, my website, I am andrewward.com. You can get my email address. Um, I accept tips and submissions, all that sort of stuff. I'm slow as hell to respond to all of them, but uh, yeah, feel free to hit me up through those message systems or links or whatever they are. And uh, yeah, uh, all those sort of ways. Perfect. Thanks, Andrew. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Major Journey Podcast. We will catch you all next time. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. 
Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton, host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did.